We started Hope School this past September with 120 students, which by October was 180 students. So we have a great group of teachers. We have more than 30 locals, as well as six foreign teachers. In addition to the teachers, we have some great support staff at the school. One of them, whose name is Joy, she is from a social class of people here. They're maintenance people, they're janitors, housekeepers, they're often taken and abused and you see this people group with their head down because they're managed by fear and they're routinely beaten. And Joy herself had been human trafficked to this city. I came here as a Muslim and racism is, I would say, of the highest level here. They believe that we are like slaves. We don't have equal rights with the citizens. And sometimes it's really sad and painful that they treat you as if you are not a human. When we started the school, we thought, how can we be a light in the midst of that? And it was Carrie's idea, we should bring them in, but not just give jobs doing maintenance and cleaning, but let's call it the guest services team. We give them training of how to engage with everyone that walks through the door who we believe has a unique God-given identity and greet them by name. So this has elevated them to a role of dignity. Yeah, I feel like there's, you know, you pick your battles sometimes and this is one I'm willing to fight for. My role at the school is to lead the hospitality team. We represent how we bring joy to the kids, how we make them happy, how we bring joy to people around us. This people group has the darkest skin color, so when parents come and drop their kids off, they know, oh, this is not the normal color of a person uh, that should be greeting my kids. And so everyone that's driving by on the street sees that we have elevated this group of people and that's who we stand for as a school. They see themselves as a group of now 12 as a missionary team. And that's not why they came to this country. They came to this country to work, to send money back to where their families are living, but God has called them as a missionary team. And someone will say that we are the perfume of hope. We bring light and joy. The school is really a wonderful place because not just the kids coming there to learn, even the adults, they come there to learn. Because I have seen this school transform even some of the locals in this place to becoming better people. They have seen what the school represents, which is hope, not just for the kids, but for everyone that walks through the gate. Oh, my dream for Hope School to produce leaders of tomorrow 
that in the nearest future this be a nation one for Christ and secondly this racism will be gone and I always say no matter the persecution I will continue to follow him because in him I am safe in him I have comfort in him I have peace and in him I have joy Amen. Isn't it awesome to be part of the church, to be part of the body of Christ where impact is being made all across the world? What a joy to see the work of some of our Serve the World partners, some of our Serve the World Chapel Street family members. What an opportunity we have to continue to help them make an impact. If you haven't heard, the school that they run has been given an 86,000 square foot facility. And what I love about Chapel Street Church at Advent is we, we dream big and then the Lord shows up big through the faithfulness of his people. We have a big goal. If we're able to raise $500,000, we will be able to retrofit that entire space and to make it a school that will move from serving 100 children to 1,500 children. What an opportunity we have to spread the hope of Jesus in this war-torn place. So if you feel led and you're able to give above and beyond what you normally give, um, the Lord is laying it on your heart, you'll see there's ways to give. You can give online or you can write a check and simply put serve the world in the memo line and we will make sure that that money goes there. So what an exciting opportunity we have before us. Let's pray for Doug and Carrie and for Hope School. Father God, we do lift up Doug and Carrie. We pray for your protection and provision for them and their family. <clears throat> we pray for them and the workers of, at Hope School, that you will give them peace and you will give them boldness. Father, give them favor with their neighbors, continuing ongoing favor with their neighbors, and use them to bring your kingdom even to this war-torn African country. Do this, we pray, for your name's sake. And now, Father, will you be with us all? Give us open and attentive hearts to hear from your word. And, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our savior, and our king. Amen. Well, happy Advent. Happy first week of December. It's good to see you here. It wasn't good to see 18 degrees on my car as I drove in this morning, but it is the season. Today we're continuing in our series, The Spirit of Christmas, and this is where we're looking at the role of the Holy Spirit as He quietly yet sovereignly works behind the scenes in this story that we know so well in the Nativity. And we're going to do this by looking at specific pieces of this story and by focusing on specific individuals. This morning, we're going to be focusing on the story of the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. Yes, all 80 verses of Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist is quite a character in the Gospels, if you have any idea of who he is. He's often misunderstood, and sometimes he's misrepresented. In my own life, I grew up having a misunderstanding of who John the Baptist was. 
What comes to your mind when you think about John the Baptist? What's the image that comes to your head? Well, growing up, this was the image I had of John the Baptist. That is a gentleman who goes by the name or the, the nickname of the wild man. He was actually a professional wrestler from the 70s and the 80s. And this is how deep it went for me. I had a good friend named Aaron in my teen years. And Aaron and I decided that we were going to team up and become the tag team champions of the professional wrestling world. And he was going to be Aaron the high priest and he was going to have a staff to beat people over the head with. And I was going to be John the Baptist. And I was going to come out with my camel hair outfit and have honey in my beard. I'd be eating locust. And my finishing move would be baptism by fire. Well, thankfully, the Lord had other plans for my life. And he strained out my very wrong impression of this man named John the Baptist. Now, we're going to see that John the Baptist was a man of power and purpose. Just very different power and purpose than I had imagined him having. So as we get going, I'd like you to open up to Luke chapter 1. And like I said, there's 80 verses here. We're not going to be able to go through every verse together, but we're going to be jumping back and forth in the text. So please have that open in front of you as we continue. In this chapter, we're going to be introduced to several people, to John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're also going to be introduced to John himself and Jesus himself, in the womb. Now our focus is going to be on three specific scenes. The first scene is where Zechariah the priest is doing ministry in the temple before the Lord. He is in a holy space, in a holy place, doing holy things. And he is visited by the archangel Gabriel. Gabriel appears to him and tells tells him and informs him that he is going to be having a child with his wife Elizabeth in their old age. He goes on to share the purpose and intention for the life of this child, and then he goes so far as to say his name will be John. Now Zechariah responds with questions, and he is struck dumb, and he will be unable to speak until his new son is born. Fast forward to another scene we will be looking at, and it is a much sweeter interaction between cousins, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John. And here we will see the joy and excitement of both of them as they understand that they are part of God's plan to save the world. The third and and final scene happens when John is born. And all the neighbors come over and they're excited to meet John. And they ask Elizabeth what his name should be and she says his name will be John. Well, this is a huge break from tradition so immediately they all go go to Zechariah who still can't speak and say what is the name of your son, because sons always had the names of somebody in the family. And, and it, it, responding in faith, Zechariah writes, his name is John. And immediately his mouth is open, and he prophesies beautifully, giving glory to God, and then speaking specifically at what his son will be doing. So that's a quick overview of the players and the scenes that are go- we're going to be looking at this morning. But let's not forget, let's not forget, ever forget, that when we're reading God's Word, the primary player is God Himself, specifically the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the one working and acting. All of the human actors are simply responding to the actions of God, the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want us to capture this morning. I want us to capture two truths about the Holy Spirit seen through the birth of John the Baptist. 
and why they matter to us today. That's what we're going to try and do this morning, okay? So let's jump in, shall we? Let's start with the context. Let's understand what's going on here. So let's look at verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. First notice when this occurred. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, this was at the end of what what um, biblical scholars call the 400 years of silence between the Testaments. 400 years where God has not uh, spoken, where no prophets have been raised up, and God has revealed nothing new about himself or about his plans to the Jewish people. God's people are waiting and longing to hear from their God. In the midst of this national longing, we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, Two good and faithful servants of God who were personally longing and waiting for something. The birth of a child. So it's in this place of longing, of wanting, of dryness, of barrenness that our story begins. That the nativity begins. And let's not forget, this is God's specialty. This is God's specialty. Remember last week, We talked about the stump of Jesse. God is in the business of bringing life out of dead things. God is in the business of bringing life out of dead things, and we're going to see him do that. We're going to see him do that through the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is all over this story. I've been studying for this series. It's it's really struck me how much the Spirit drives this whole thing. Have you ever heard of the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon? Has anybody ever heard of that? It's a phenomenon when you notice something for the first time, and then there's a tendency to notice it everywhere, even though you never noticed it before. Does that make sense? Believe it or not, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up about 10 minutes from Disneyland, and I would go to Disneyland often. That was back in the days when they had this thing called the e-ticket. That was a big deal. You got to go on all the big rides. And I remember me and all my preteen friends, and then in my teen years, we would, we would uh, go and get our e-tickets, and we would run from roller coaster to roller coaster. And Disneyland was, a, was just a place for teens, and that's all there was in the park, was just a bunch of teenagers. Well, fast forward about 12, 15 years later, and I had moved out of Southern California, and I moved back, and I was about 20 minutes from Disneyland on the other side, and we continued to go again, but this time with a young family. And what I realized for the first time when I went back the second time around was how many strollers exist in that park. Disneyland is an army of strollers. There are strollers everywhere. I had never seen them as a kid when I was a teenager because they just weren't on my radar. Now they're everywhere. And that is my impression of what Disneyland is. Armies of strollers with screaming children in this so-called happiest place on earth. That is my impression of Disneyland. Sorry, Ken. I know that. So in a much, much better way, I don't think I'm going to be able to look at the Christmas story. And I hope you're not going to be able to look at the Christmas story again without seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe me, let's look. 
Look at, look at chapter 1. Look what Gabriel says in verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and notice, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now look down at verse 41, talking about Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her room, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now look down at verse uh, 67. We can't leave Zechariah out, can we? After he had claimed that his name was John, what do we see happen? And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied. So what does it mean that, these, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? That John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. That Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she saw Mary. And that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit when he wrote that his son's name would be John. Well, it's an Old Testament phenomenon. It's where the Holy Spirit would temporarily come upon a person to further the cause of God. It's either through mighty acts of power or through proclamations of truth from God. We see it in Judges. Judges are given power to do God's will. And we see it with the prophets where they're given God's words to proclaim to the people. That's what being filled with the Spirit means. It's a special power for a special task. Which leads to the first truth about the Holy Spirit that I want to make sure we grasp today. The Spirit gives power. It's a simple idea, but I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about. The Spirit gives power. When the Holy Spirit comes over someone, he's empowering that person to do and to speak his will. And in this story, in the, the Holy Spirit's filling in power here in Luke 1 is meant to accomplish something very specific. Because each time that somebody is mentioned, it mentions that somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, we see something specific happen. We see a proclamation. We see a proclamation. Being filled with the Spirit is accompanied by public testimony in Luke Acts. When you're filled with the Spirit, there is public testimony. That's the pattern in Luke Acts. Let's look at these three proclamations, these three testimonies. First, we see it in, um, in John himself in verse 41. Look at verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. This is the first spirit-empowered proclamation in this chapter, and it happens to happen in utero. Let's pause and think about that for a second. The baby John leaps in the presence of his Messiah, also in the womb. Before his lips were formed, John the Baptist proclaimed with joy and worship of Jesus through his action of leaping for joy. He was filled, for, filled with the Spirit in the womb, and he was already empowered to praise and worship Jesus, who was in the womb himself. What an amazing scene. Don't let familiarity steal you of the awesomeness of what is happening. A brief aside... If a child is worthy of worship in the womb and a child is capable of worship in the womb, then life in the womb is worthy of our protection.
We see the second Spirit-empowered proclamation come from Elizabeth. Look at the next couple of verses, verses 42 and 43. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, very early in Mary's pregnancy, her cousin Elizabeth is empowered by the Spirit to see and declare the blessedness of Mary's child. She knew who Mary was carrying through the Spirit. In fact, she is the first person in the New Testament to refer to Jesus as her Lord. Elizabeth was empowered to see with the eyes of faith and understood the true identity of Mary's son. And she could do nothing but rejoice and proclaim the blessedness of the child and how blessed Mary was to carry the Messiah. Elizabeth's spirit-empowered proclamation was one of worship and joy. And then finally, we see the third Holy Spirit-empowered proclamation with Zechariah in his testimony, which starts in verse 68 and 69, where he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So, Holy Spirit-empowered proclamation, Zechariah praises God for visiting and redeeming and saving his people for his faithful covenant-keeping. And then he goes on for the rest of the chapter to remind his people of their call to live life a holy and righteous life before the saving, covenant-keeping God. And finally, he prophesies about the role that his son John will have in preparing a way for and pointing people to Jesus. So we have three Holy Spirit-empowered proclamations about John and about Jesus. We have this visceral, visceral explosion of joy within a womb. We have a beautiful expression of blessing and worship from a long, barren, now pregnant woman. And we have faith-filled words from an old man's mouth that just opened after a bout with faithlessness. And all of these proclamations are empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. Okay, John, why does this matter to us today? Well, let me say this. When the Spirit comes upon a person, he is coming in power. And he's empowering that person to do and say his will. Which means if we have the Spirit, God's will will be done and proclaimed in our words and our deeds. And I think it's very important for us to remember as we, today as we gather and we hear the Christmas story once again. The Spirit did not orchestrate and initiate all of the details of this story for us to gather around a fire in December and feel warm and feel comfortable. No. The Holy Spirit moved in such a way that those involved were empowered to proclaim joy to the world. The Spirit's desire is not that we would sit around the manger, but that we would go tell it on the mountain. That's the Holy Spirit's desire and intention then, and that's his desire and intention today. Where the Holy Spirit is, there's empowered proclamation. I think this is a good litmus test for us all who claim to follow Jesus this Christmas season. If you're wondering if the Holy Spirit is part of your Christmas, then ask yourself, how loudly am I proclaiming? How actively am I pointing others to Jesus? Where the Holy Spirit is, there is empowered proclamation. But more than power, the, the Spirit gives purpose. The Spirit gives 
purpose. In this chapter, we're going to see the spirit-informed purpose of John's life. We're going to see it first in the proclamation of the angel Gabriel, and then we're going to see it in the words of the open-mouthed Zechariah. And finally, we're going to see that these words are echoed in the prophetic proclamations of Malachi and Isaiah in the New Testament. So let's look at this spirit-filled a declaration about the purpose of John the Baptist. Now pay attention to the themes that build here on who John the Baptist is and what his purpose was. So this is in verse 15. This is Gabriel talking to, um, talking to Zechariah, declaring um, the purpose of John's life. For he will be great before the Lord. It doesn't mean that he is going to be like God. He is going to serve the Lord greatly. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, he must be set apart. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many, many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He shall preach a message of repentance. And he will go, go before him in spirit and power of Elijah. And just like Elijah did, John will cry out for God's people to repent, to turn from their sins and come back to their God, to turn their hearts to the, to the, of the fathers to the children. That's a message of reconciliation. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, that's restoration. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared, he is preparing the way for the Messiah. Again, pay attention to how these themes build. Now look at what Zechariah says about John in verse 76. 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people for the forgiveness of their sins. So that's Gabriel and that's, that's Zechariah. Now listen to what Malachi says 430 years before the birth of John. In, in, in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts and then looking back further to the prophet isaiah who lived 700 years before the birth of john in isaiah 40 he declared this a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way for the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god i hope you see the pattern john the Baptist has a very unique role in salvation history. The purpose of his life was to prepare the way for the Messiah by preaching repentance. Now hear this. This is John's call. This was his purpose. He was called to point people to the Savior while pointing out their need for a Savior. John the Baptist was called to point people to the Savior while pointing out their need for a Savior. That's what it means to prepare a way. It means John's was called to ready the hearts of the Jewish people who are waiting and looking for the Messiah. And what message was he, uh, was he to proclaim to ready the hearts and help prepare the way? To preach repentance. Repentance is simply turning away from. He was calling God's people to turn away from their sin. That's the first half of the gospel. And then he was called to point people to Jesus who was the fulfillment of the second half of the gospel. The completion of the gospel. That is the work of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was unique. His purpose was unique. 
And we clearly see the purpose of John's life spelled out in these three Holy Spirit proclamations by his father, by the prophets of old, and even an archangel. And those of us who know the rest of the story, we know that John the Baptist lived out this purpose even to the point of death. He lived it out well. He was always pointing people to the Messiah, to Jesus himself. So we can and we should highly esteem John's role in God's plan for salvation. The Holy Spirit was upon John. Jesus himself in Matthew eleven eleven says this about John. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. We are not John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a clear empowerment from the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist had a clear purpose from the Holy Spirit. We're not John the Baptist, so what do we do with this text? Well, I'd like to remind you that the good Dr. Luke wrote Luke Acts as a two-part book. He wrote about the incarnation, about Christ coming down and being embodied, being in flesh. And then he wrote about the body of Jesus in the book of Acts, the church. In the first chapter of Luke, we see God's people empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim and act out God's will in very specific ways. We get to see their purpose. Now consider the second part of his book, the book of Acts. In the first chapter of Acts, we read this in verse 8. Just listen to this. It's not, it's not up on the screen. Speaking to his disciples, which now includes us, so this is for me and this is for you, Jesus says this, but you, you will receive power. When what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you see your purpose? Do you see your power? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. We are not John the Baptist. But we have a very similar call. John the Baptist was the herald of Jesus the Messiah. He was coming to do his work. Well, we, in a, a very similar way, herald the finished work of Jesus here in this world. When you give your life to Jesus, when you put faith in his saving work on your behalf, then through faith in Jesus, you have been filled with the Spirit. You have been filled with the Spirit. The same Spirit that Romans 8.11 says raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active and working in you, if indeed you are in Christ. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you have that power. But that power has a purpose. To proclaim the gospel. To point other people back to Jesus. Folks, that is the purpose of our saved lives. 
That's our call. That's our purpose. You see, our salvation was never intended to end on ourselves. That's not the point of this whole Christmas story. We're not saved to live our own happily ever afters. We are saved and indwelt and empowered by the Spirit to point others to Jesus. So this season, then, is not simply about gathering and remembering. It's about going and proclaiming. So the question for all all of us this morning is simple. Who, then, are you going to this Christmas? To whom are you proclaiming the blessedness of Jesus to? How are you preparing the way for others to make room for him this season? When we do this, we're fulfilling our purpose. We are being witnesses. You're living out your purpose. I love the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I loved watching it as a kid. It was one of my favorite memories in college. At the end of every fall semester during finals week, they would show It's a Wonderful Life one night in Edmond Chapel. The intermission, they would have a contest to see who could do the best uh, Bailey Bailey, um, impression, George Bailey running down Main Street, calling out all the establishments. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Why does it resonate with so many of us? It's, it resonates with us because Mr. Bailey was given the opportunity to see his purpose in life, to see what his life was meant for, and see the power that his life had to change things for good. Well, as followers of Jesus, we have the same opportunity to see our purpose. We have the opportunity and a chance to see the true source of our power, the Holy Spirit. And I want to say it again. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have power. You have power. And what's your purpose? To be witnesses. We don't need to be scared about that. What does it mean to witness for Jesus? It means I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. That's what being a witness is. Is there any more important message we can share? We watched an amazing video about a school called Hope. They want to bring the hope of the gospel to people who have never heard it, to a culture that has never heard it. But what a privilege and what an opportunity we have to bring this message of the hope of the gospel to a culture that has heard it all too often and has forgotten what it means. We have a purpose. God is inviting you and he's inviting me to live for him, to join him on his rescue mission. We get to live out our purpose to be his witnesses and make disciples. And don't forget your life has power. You have power to do this, to give testimony to Jesus in your words and deeds. 
And may we all be like John the Baptist this Christmas, always proclaiming, always pointing others to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I can think of no better way to end this message than by turning to the Lord's table. We've talked about the Holy Spirit empowering us to proclaim His truth and His goodness to the world. And what are we doing here at the table? We're proclaiming the truth about God's death, burial, and resurrection to one another until he comes. Here at Chapel Street Church, we understand this to be a family meal. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you're seeking to follow him as your Lord, then this table is for you. This is a time of, uh, for us to, to look back and rejoice, to look back and rejoice at the finished work of Jesus, what he's accomplished on our behalf. But it's also a time for us to seriously reflect and look into our own lives consider, and consider how we are living for Jesus. As the plate is passed to you, we ask that you pick up two cups. There'll be two cups, one on top of the other. And hold on to the elements. We will be taking them at the end. So now I ask that you would prepare your hearts to make room for Jesus, to, to worship him and thank him for coming to earth, living a perfect life, and going to the cross in our stead. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus Lord, we thank you for your spirit who orchestrated it all. We thank you that because of Jesus and the perfect life he led, we now have access to you. We have power for this life, and we have hope of your presence for life evermore. Father, we rejoice in the cross. It's in Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction. As you leave this place, go in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and working in you and through you. Live in His power and live out His purpose to do His will and to point many to Jesus every day this week. Amen.